The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Ben Levison, Deputy Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about investing and what's ahead in the markets this week. Barron's senior writers Al Root and Nick Jasinski are on the line. We're coming back from an abbreviated trading week due to Thanksgiving, and we're ready for that last month and change of the year. Al, Nick, thanks for joining me. Hi, it's good to be back. Well, first of all, I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Um, I know I did. I was down in D.C. with uh, my brother and my parents. Uh, what do you guys do? Um, I was also with some family. Pretty quiet this year, but in a in a good way, I would say. Nice. Uh, yeah, it was, it was very quiet. We had one guest over, and then we had some uh, like Friendsgiving things on Friday, where we had some people over for bits and bites. But uh, overall, a good time was had, and and. Uh, uh, drinks were consumed and football was watched. And you know what's great is I, it looks like the stock market, you know, had a pretty great Thanksgiving too. It, uh, I mean, it's had a fantastic November. The S&P is up more than 8% uh, this month. It's the best month uh, since July 2022, so more than a year. Um, Nick, tell us, what's been driving this rally? Well, I think it's like so much of 2023 where there's really, there have been two stories in the stock market this year. It's been about the Fed and expectations for what the Fed is going to do. And the second one has been artificial intelligence. And November has really been about shifting Fed policy expectations, shifting bond yields. Um, going back to September, October, everyone was worried about more tightening, higher interest rates ahead. Bond yields were surging and stocks were falling. Since the start of November, that pattern has reversed. Um, yields are down, stocks are up. I'm sure we'll get into the Fed more later in the call. But sometimes it's really, it's just as simple as that. It's this overarching narrative and that can switch in one direction or the other from month to month. Yeah, it's it's been quite fascinating to watch. I mean, it, it looked like uh, you know, the bears had their had 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 it the market right where they wanted it um, after that, uh, you know, rally into the end of July with the August, September, October kind of slump. And now we're, we're back rallying. We're almost at the highs for the year, um, even threatening to get to uh, to new highs on the S&P 500. Uh, it's pretty yeah. amazing. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed is that the, the VIX closed below 13 last week. Um, and I mean, which is, it hasn't been that low in a very, very long time. Um, some people see that as a, uh, it's described as a yellow light for stocks this year. What do you guys think? I mean, you know, the, you're right. Uh, the idea, you know, the VIX is called the fear gauge, right? And, um, the opposite or the inverse of the fear gauge is probably the complacency gauge. <laughs> so when the VIX is low, people uh, have a knee-jerk reaction and say, uh-oh, uh, people have stopped worrying about all the things they should be worrying about. Uh, and that's a bad time to buy stocks. And then the reverse is true. Um, you know, for me, and, and I'll certainly uh, like to hear what Nick says about it, it's just one of the things that you look at, right? A low VIX does maybe indicate that People are a little complacent, but uh, it doesn't necessarily portend disaster. Sort of anything um, 
you know, you don't like to see extremes of anything in the stock market. But like I say, you know, uh, what the Fed is doing, earnings growth in Q4, things like that, that are certainly as much or more than the VIX. Absolutely. It's one number among many. Um, it is a super low VIX by historical standards. Um, so just simple meme reversion, it should go higher at some point. Um, I will say the VIX doesn't tend to slowly go higher. It tends to spike in in, in the kind of clusters of, of days of, of increased volatility. And then, it, and then it tends to slowly grind lower. Um, so I can't tell you if that spike happens today or tomorrow or next week or next month, but but when it happens, it tends to happen rather quickly. Um, yeah, so it's we, hard to say. We've yeah, been, been we as investors and investment watchers have sort of become addicted to like crazy volatility, right? I, I've said this several times recently. The last couple of recessions was a global credit meltdown and a global pandemic. Now we're dealing with like a rate cycle that may or may not be ending. It almost feels like nobody knows how to trade it anymore because it's like a regular recession. It's also the, the move index, which I think B of A puts together. That's sort of like the VIX for, for the bond market. Um, and that's also down since the start of November. Um, but in contrast to the VIX, it is super high relative to its historical um, averages. Um, so the bond market is really where all the action is these days still. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it feels like that the, the bond market at least needs to stay here, at least for the market to be able to, to keep working its way higher. But I guess that's the next question I want to ask you. You know, we have, um, you know, a, a few days left in November, then all of December till year end. The market's had a great year so far. What do you think the last, uh, you know, five weeks from change uh, bring for it? Um, I think we're higher. Uh, we're, we're 16 days away from Fed decision on December 13th, which um, the market is certain that that's going to be um, no change in, in rates there. I'm just looking at the CME FedWatch tool, which uses futures pricing, and that puts the odds of no change in rates at 99.4%. That's implied by futures prices right now. So pretty certain. Um, and that was like closer to 75% a month ago. Um, um, I think as long as we get that, um, that'll depend on, on some of the jobs numbers we get next week and, and we'll get another inflation reading before then. Um, but I think that's, that's as good as done and get this year end rally um, seasonalities on their side. I think we can continue to grind higher for the rest of the year. Uh, Alan, would you agree with that? Um, yes, yes. The short answer is I agree with that. I mean, we, we, yeah, you know, no, no change in December, and then people will, uh, you know, he'll say something like he's data dependent, and you know, we'll all watch upcoming jobs and inflation numbers and hold out hope for a quarter point cut. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, I, as, as Nick pointed out, I, I just I look at this market, and you have had such a great year. It's the kind of thing where people who haven't had a great year, and by people, I mean fund managers probably feel the need to get into some of these stocks that have done so well. And uh, I just think that helps push the market up uh, through year end, barring some sort of surprise in the data, as you pointed out, if we get a uh, you know super strong payrolls reading or inflation starts to uh, look like it's going up instead of down, maybe that changes things, but it, it, it's hard to uh, think about that. But it really does sound like so much of this is dependence on the Fed at this point. Um, I want to ask you a question, though. It's, you know, right now everyone's talking about this being kind of Goldilocks, that, uh, you know, growth has slowed a bit, but we're still growing. Inflation has come down, is heading down. And um, that that's, that's kind of the perfect setup. But it doesn't really take 
that much to go from like Goldilocks um, into something scarier, um, maybe a, you know, a growth scare. Um, how much do you buy into that kind of argument? Yeah, so if we started the year being too hot, now we're at Goldilocks, the trend is in the direction of things getting colder. So what if they get colder than Goldilocks? Um, I'm beating the, the metaphor to death here, but um, it's just the, this risk of overshooting. And all of a sudden we go from being happy that, that things aren't too hot in Goldilocks to worried about, oh, uh, now there's going to be a recession, deflation, other ugly things. Um, and obviously that sentiment shifts very quickly. Um, trend in that direction is, is enough to, to get sentiment to shift and stocks to react, even if the, the data points themselves aren't saying, oh, we're in a recession, but um, it's just like getting further past that Goldilocks point, that's where the trend is, and that can affect sentiment. Yeah, a couple, couple, couple of points. One is I want to blow up this, this whole notion of Goldilocks. What we're actually talking about is baby bear. Goldilocks was the intruder. It's kind of like Frankenstein's monster. We want a baby bear economy, not a Goldilocks economy. Now, that's just for free. The, you know, the problem is... The one thing I think a lot about is just the, how to square all these issues is just valuation. You know, the stock market tends to do well when the Fed is cutting, right? Don't fight the Fed. And there's various data points that prove that. The market outperforms in a rate reducing cycle, you know, five to seven percent over, you know, rates rising or just generalized stock market returns. Fine, that's all good. But when stocks are really expensive, you know, like they were in 2000 and 1999, it didn't matter if the Fed was cutting, the stock still went down. Uh, and when stocks were really, really cheap, like you know, if you go back all the way to the 80s and then you cut rates, then everything goes great. Uh, interestingly enough, right, right now, from a valuation perspective, we're sort of right in the middle of the range. Stocks are not cheap or expensive relative to historic standards, and we're entering this rate-cutting cycle. So what am I saying? I'm, I'm not as worried about a growth scare as I would have been you know, if stocks were more expensive. That's not necessarily a helpful thing to say. But I'm not as worried about a growth scare. I expect things to decelerate and then growth in earnings to return at some point in 2024. As long as that's generally the scenario, I don't worry that, you know, about a cliff or, you know, a mama bear bowl of porridge. I like that idea of a baby bear economy. That's, that's kind of good. Um, that's what we want. Like the one Goldilocks. She was an intruder. She was an intruder. Yeah. And she was eating all their porridge and breaking their beds. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it wasn't, uh, or was it their chairs that she broke? I can't remember anymore. My kids have grown up uh, too much for that story now. Um, but uh, that, that's a good one. I'll, I'll keep that for later. Um, but the other thing that it seems that has kept this economy from, you know, going into a recession, like the recession was so widely predicted, but we have these consumers and they just keep shopping. Um, and we keep hearing predictions that, it, that they're going to stop that they're running out of savings, et cetera, et cetera. But you look at Black Friday and it looked pretty strong. Um, how does this play out? Um, ben, don't you have some some Black Friday stats that you sent around earlier today? Well, I know Sabrina did. Sabrina uh -huh. has said that, uh, you know, Adobe had put out some numbers, online sales increased 7.5% year over year. Um, and they're, that's to 9.8 billion. Um, and you're supposed to get another 10 billion over the weekend and then 12 billion on Cyber Monday. These are astounding numbers. Um, and um, Salesforce has some similar numbers. Um, sales are going to uh, are set to increase nine percent um, according to Salesforce. We don't have the land, uh, you know, the the physical store numbers in here. But from everything we can tell, it's been a pretty solid um, shopping season. Um, 
what's what's driving that? I mean, it, 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 so, you know, this wasn't supposed to happen like this. Well, one of the things is the amazing, uh, the amazing uh, invention of credit cards. It's, it's uh, I mean, you know, people know or should know that I do a lot of car stuff around here. You know, thousand dollar car payments has been a theme, and it's always a record every quarter. People yep. pay thousand dollars a month for new cars, uh, which is a lot. And uh, you know, now credit card debt is about a trillion dollars, uh, and that's in the face of higher interest rates. So. Um, it's, it's, you know, everybody, like, including me, I always look at that and I say, wow, that's a lot. And then nothing bad seems to happen. Delinquencies are, are, are uh, ticking up. But again, it seems to be like no one really cares. But uh, credit cards, just keep spending, baby. <laughs> I, also, I also saw a stat that um, buy now, pay later spending was 47% um, higher year over year. That's the, the, um, like that option I'm sure you've all seen, you can click a button and spread out your $8 shampoo online purchase into four monthly payments of $2. Um, That's helpful. Want, that who is. wouldn't want I mean, to do that, of course. Um, but anyway, it's, it's another indicator that consumers are definitely still spending and want to spend, but they appear to be using more of their available credit to do that. Um, obviously that can't continue forever. Credit runs out at some point. And, th and that is something that you typically see in the later innings of a cycle. Um, right, so, so consumers are definitely still spending. But, uh, but perhaps we're getting closer to the end of that. What about you two? Did you guys buy anything on Black Friday over the weekend? So um, most people, oh, go ahead, Nick. Yeah, I did, but nothing exciting. It was all, all kind of stuff that I needed to buy anyway, which I just like saved up. Um, just an example. Um, like I bought some replacement heads for my Sonicare toothbrush, which were 25% off. That's yeah, not, that, not those are expensive. Um, I did buy some new running sneakers, which I, I've also been putting off buying. Um, nice. That kind of stuff. All right. And now, what about you? So, I bought a sweater that I wanted. That was 25 percent off. That was great. And the other thing was, uh, I, I was in Lululemon. Um, and those of you who have followed my uh, parents' career know that I'm slightly larger than I was pre pandemic. So, I love anything that stretches. But uh, nothing was really discounted in Lululemon. So take that as a data point of one. Maybe really strong retailers don't have to discount, but I was they very, very disappointed in the Lululemon Black Friday offering. Hmm. Yeah, I, I bought a pair of boots. My boots are, uh, the soles are getting worn down and uh, I got not only 40% off the boots, but then PayPal threw in an extra $15 off of them. Um, nice. So that seemed good. And then we got some new knives. They were, uh, Amazon said that they were discounted by 75%. I don't know if I can trust that, but we need some new knives and we spent like 35 bucks on knives. Um, that, that, those are the most exciting things that uh, I think we had around uh, at the Levison household. Um, but all the all these sales are going to have to uh, translate into earnings, and it's earnings that are going to drive the stock market. You know, we still have a few trickling in, but third quarter is basically done. Nick, what have we learned? Um, it's been fine. Nothing exciting, really. It's the it's the first quarter in a few that the S and P five hundred earnings are up year over year. So that's something. Um, but really, there there haven't been any consequential blow ups, um, especially among the big tech companies that have driven the majority of the market's returns this year. Um, so, so that's been, it's been sort of a, a snoozer of an earnings season. I guess a snoozer is better than uh, the alternative. Um, is it going to be another snoozer in the fourth quarter? So we, depending on the estimates, you know, we've been in, it's, it's interesting, right? This idea of snoozer and there also isn't much growth, you know, it's, um, 
depending on where you look and starting points for your estimates, we're in this earnings recession, you know, more than, I think it's two or three quarters. Nick probably knows better than I do off the top of his head, but two or three quarters of earnings declines. Yeah, but we're talking, we're talking, it's not like things fell off a cliff, right? We're going from the like S&P 500, right? You're going from like 56 bucks a share. Again, these are theoretical dollars. There's no corporation. The S&P, S&P 500 aggregating earnings going from like 56 to like 54, right? And then, you know, for Q4, you know, we're headed back to 55. So, you know, we're expecting earnings growth to return on a sequential basis, but it's not like things have been disastrous. So like snoozer is probably the perfect description. All right. And let's let's talk about some of these stocks that are going to be coming out with earnings this week. Um, you know, they're not the most exciting, biggest names out there, but there's some good ones and some interesting ones. Al, I'm going to start with you. Tell us about Dollar Tree, because I know this is one that it's supposed to have been, this is supposed to be the kind of environment that the stock does really well. Um, yeah. It hasn't. What's going on? What are the earnings going to show? No, it's been a, it's been a bit of a debacle, right? So um, start with the numbers. They're supposed to do. Wall Street expects a dollar or a dollar one. Uh, they do guide. The guide is about ninety eight cents. So you know, there's a couple of cent wiggle room. Uh, the stock has had just a terrible reaction to recent quarters. It's it's down, and the aggregate of all that, it's about down twenty uh, plus percent over the past twelve months. You know, it drills the S and P by you know, thirty five percentage points or something like that. And, you know, it should be, as we're all struggling, we should go to the dollar store. A couple of things have happened. One is this retail theft. Uh, talk about interesting, you know, tidbits on late cycle consumer behavior. Consumer theft has been an issue. Gross margins were down year over year. Uh, the lowering of inflation has actually been a headwind, right? Because, you know, it's, it's, it's actually a little bit of inflation tends to help retailers. They make a little markup on their existing inventory, all that sort of stuff. Um, so it's just been one of these stocks where people really couldn't catch a break. Now, there are many people, including recent notes from uh, Quo Vadis Capital, that think this is a good setup here. But what you're going to have to see is stabilization and gross profits and a good old fashioned uh, earnings beat with solid guidance. And then maybe we can change the narrative on Dollar Tree. Um, but I would call that one sort of surprisingly bad, given how consumers are struggling. You may want to go to this one, but no, it just hasn't worked out that way. Yeah, I mean, it's it is kind of shocking. And uh, I, I guess that the bullish analysts are still waiting for that uh, lower and middle income consumer to to go to Dollar Tree and and spend to get those earnings going. But they they really haven't yet. So would you be buying this into uh, earnings or not? Well, I would rely on. Well, two things. I tend to be a value oriented guy and I tend to like uh, which makes my like contrarian ideas. Um, I would think that uh after you know, like we all had this like collective learning you know i don't remember prior times in my career where theft was actually coming up on conference calls so now that we've had that for a couple of quarters hopefully margins stabilize and i can see the pathway forward so i'm sort of uh in cold Odyssey's camp so i am positively disposed to dollar tree with the caveat that always keep in mind i love beating up things and sometimes that's great and sometimes it's not all right. Sounds good. Let's go to another beaten down stock, also a retailer. Nick, tell us about Foot Locker. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I think the um, everybody knows the long-term story. I, I mentioned that pair of Nikes I bought um, last week. I bought those directly from Nike. I didn't go through somewhere like Foot Locker. Um, those of us who live in New York probably remember Models, which has gone bankrupt. So just this, this wholesale model from uh, Nike and Adidas and all these other major uh, sporting goods retailers 
or producers rather, um, they're not going through stores like Foot Locker and Models anymore. They're choosing to own the relationship with their customers and go directly. Um, and that's that's been a long-term issue for Foot Locker. The stock is down 40% this year. It's off more than 80% from its peak, which was before the COVID pandemic. Um, for the um, third quarter, which ended in October, that doesn't include Black Friday or any of that, sales are forecast to be down 10% year over year and earnings to be down 83%. So a lot of margin compression there as well. And that has to do with clearing some excess inventory and needing to discount um, in order to do that. Um, again, they, they might have some commentary on Black Friday and, and how that went. Um, I would not be buying this one before earnings. Best case scenario is they beat that really sad number and they have a one day pop or two, but the the, uh, the long-term story is just is going against retailers like Foot Locker. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you look at it, it's, it's also gained 24% in the last three months, um, yeah. 12% over the past month alone. Um, and that's not the kind of number that necessarily I want to be buying into. Um, and it's also strange because there was a moment there where Foot Locker looked like having losing like this uh, access to, you know, being the primary point of Nike. It looked like they might be able to make up for it by having other brands. But I think other brands are doing the exact same thing Nike's doing at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's an, it's been an ugly one. Um, all right, Nick, let's stick with you. Um, AI is the big thing right now. Tell us about Snowflake, which is an AI stock. Yeah, it's sort of um, it's an interesting. It's kind of a, a picks and shovels um, play to use that the gold rush analogy. Um, the, all these generative AI models like ChatGPT, they rely on these these huge data sets to train the model, um, and that that really is Snowflake's business. It's, it's software. Um, that they sell on a subscription basis for structuring, analyzing, and managing massive amounts of data that the companies have. Um, the, you can say like the AI model is only as good as the data used to train it. Um, so Snowflake, it's in the right place. It's still a hugely expensive stock, um, around 30 times revenues with negative earnings. That's much better than when it was in the hundreds of times of revenues when it's when, uh, public two years ago. Um, but it's just a tough time in the interest rate economic cycle for such a long duration company like that. Um, it's still probably a company you want to own for the next five years, 10 years. Um, but it's, it's just, it's a, the macro right now is, is against that type of investment. Um, for the third quarter, which also ends in October, um, they're expecting, um, analysts are expecting sales up 28% and their adjusted earnings per share to be up 44% year over year which are big numbers, um, but that's actually a meaningful slowdown from the past few quarters. Um, and that has more to do with enterprise cloud spending and, and that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, I think a company you wanna own for the long-term, um, you might get a better entry point um, or, or better returns from other parts of the market in the near term, but still like the, all, the, all the, in contrast to Foot Locker, all the long-term trends are in Snowflake's favor. All right. Well, let's do one more uh, stock that has earnings this week. Al, tell us about Salesforce. So Salesforce, uh, it's had an excellent year. So does starting points always matter? At least I tend to say starting points always matter. It's up 70%. Uh, oh, it's up 70% year to date over the last 12 months. Somebody's going to have to check that because I did not write down what the 70% was. Um, and uh, so this will, and it trades above market multiple. Uh, again, I think, uh, again, why did I write it trades at above market multiple? I should have wrote what it traded at. I think it trades in the 20s. I the market trades at 18 times forward earnings. So I'll uh, answer so your question. It's year to date. It's up 70%. And on a 12-month multiple, let's see what that is. That 
puts us at, um, oh, about uh, 24 and a half times. Okay, there you go. Actual numbers. <laughs> Who would have thought that that was a good idea right there? Um, so what this means to me is, of course, they actually need to sort of meet, and, and, and um, they do guide. Uh, so sort of beat and strong guidance or guidance better than the street expects for the fourth quarter. Uh, historically, over the last few quarters, they need to beat by about 10% at least to get the stock up. Again, so it's a stock with momentum. People have high expectations. So you're looking at something like 225 to see sort of the stock have a nice reaction. Um, and that's what you have to expect, right? And they do, you know, it's, it's uh, CRM, Salesforce.com, all the tools. They own Slack. Uh, so everything that can do to monetize making our workflows easier and making life easier for salespeople in different departments, way to go. Um, software is always a mystery to me. It just works. But I do understand 205 is the estimate and the guide. So you're going to have to see something in that 225 range to make this stock work. And apparently there, if you read through some of the analyst notes, there's some worries around not the earnings themselves, which should probably be just fine, but a little bit of worry around the uh, uh, the guidance um, for the fourth quarter and whether that, uh, and for fiscal 25, <coughs> where they could come through. And I think that's what everyone will be watching. They want to see that uh, that guidance get raised or at least uh, or held where it is. And yeah, um, and we're talking about a stock that's trading in that in that mid twenties range, right? They're supposed to earn eight bucks this year. They own five. They earn five and change. So obviously, big growth. They're supposed to earn above nine next year. You know, sequentially, you know, people are looking for two twenty a share in Q four. So when they come out with that guidance, it's going to have to be above two twenty to make the stock go up, right? So it's all you know, it's current earnings would matter twenty percent, and guidance would matter eighty percent when that yeah. comes on. I think it's Thursday. And it, and it comes uh, as a it comes really on my bad. And, and, and at an interesting time for the stock too. I'm just eyeballing the chart here, and you can see there's kind of like this range that has been in since really about June-ish, um, where you have a, a high up in the uh, 220s, 230s area. You have a low a little bit under 200. It's been bouncing around in that in that range. And if it can break through, you have to think that there's a lot more upside ahead for the stock. Um, it really do. need to see a break from through there. Yeah, and I do want to point out one thing on behalf of our uh, esteemed colleague, in, colleague Andrew Barry. Those numbers, the 205, those are adjusted numbers. They're big users of stock-based compensation. That is right. Call for another day, but everybody bases it on the adjusted numbers. So yes, every time we talk about work. recommending Salesforce, there's Andrew saying those numbers aren't real. Well, he's um, right. They back out stock-based comp and adjusted numbers, but we all yeah. have to, we all have to, you know, square that with how we feel about the markets on our own. All right. Well, we are rapidly running out of time here. I want to just hit a few other topics quickly. One is uh, Disney. Um, and uh, their, their, their movies were not doing so well. Um, Nick, what's going there? I know you wrote our cover story about Disney recommending the stock. Can you bring us up to date? Yeah, in short, the um, I mean, Disney had this hit machine of especially Marvel and, and the other franchises just coming out with with um, sequels and prequels and, and more films and people would just go and spend money at the box office and, and go see the films pretty much no matter what they were. Um, one statistic for you here. So in 2019, Disney's studios had seven films that made at least a billion dollars or more at the international box office. Since then, mind you, there's been a pandemic that closed movie theaters, but since then there has been one film from Disney studios that has had a, a billion dollars or more at the box office. And that was the sequel to the uh, Avatar movie last year. Um, in short, which, the by the way, can we say that that's not even really a Disney movie, but a 
that's a Fox movie, right? Yeah, it's they, from that so, right. They they bought that for through 21st Century Fox, and and um, um, the, the original Avatar was before Disney owned any of those studios. Um, you're absolutely right. Um, in short, the box office doesn't matter as much as it once did. Um, in a lot of ways, the, these films and the advertising campaigns and everything that goes around them is a way to get people to sign up for the streaming services, which we've all been trained to know. Okay, if the movie's in theaters now, then probably in the next six to 36 weeks, I'll be able to see it on whatever my streaming service is. Um, so so it's, it's, it's really the streaming services and, and Disney and other companies are, are just reorienting their entire businesses around that. Um, Iger, who's, who's back at Disney, he, he has said pretty candidly that, that um, the kind of creative uh, driver at the movie, uh, uh, movie studios is, is lacking at Disney. And he says that he's taking a hands-on approach to, to getting that spark back. Um, but I think it's it's just less about the box office than I used to be in the entire entertainment business, um, and uh, that's just how it is in the future. And, and for, to get that creative uh, juice back, they need more live-action sequels of existing properties. That probably is the essence of creativity. <laughs> no, I mean, the one thing that was also interesting to me is that um, their uh, last animated film, which is really Pixar, Elemental was one that looked like it had stiffed right out of the out of the gate, but actually ended up doing some decent business, particularly overseas. So I know that these movies had a tough time um, to start off, but Wish in particular, well, we may see have uh, a little more life overseas uh, if it gets that kind of long uh, runway to it. Nick, I also want to point out that uh, the stock, Disney stock, since your pick, if we can trust our website, has actually done pretty well. It's up about uh, 11 percentage points more than the S&P 500 uh, since you um, wrote about it. That was back at the end of July. Sounds um, great. All right. Let's go on to Tesla. Al, you're our Tesla expert. That was also a stock pick. It's more than, what, tripled, I think, since you yeah, doubled. Uh, it doubled. All right. So it's doubled since you recommended it. Um, this It's Cybertruck week. What's going on with Tesla? Uh, well, I mean, I was getting worried that we weren't talking about Tesla, but now I feel better. Uh, one thing, Elemental did almost $500 million worldwide, and I don't think it ever led the U.S. box office. In open it never did. So there you go. Look at that. That's impressive. There you go, Ben. Um, so it's Cybertruck week. Uh, Cybertruck was uh, launched in 2019. Uh, it looks like, uh, it looks a little odd. They're very angular, made of stainless steel. Sort of looks like. Uh, I, I think of Mad Max, uh, the, the, you know, the, um, the Road Warrior movie. Um, that's yep. what it looks like to me. I just need some gas yep. tanks and some spikes on it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so it's been difficult to manufacture because it's kind of odd uh, in terms of shape and materials. So now we're going to get initial deliveries. There's a delivery event on, on November 30th. And so we'll all tune into that. And are so, are, are they going to catch people crying on camera, either from joy or, uh, or or something else? We're not quite sure. Oh, I certainly hope so. Um, it's in Austin, Texas. There was a limited number of uh, invitations sent out. I did not get one, so I'm not reporting from Austin. Uh, I am willing to go to Austin and stand outside the factory along the side of the highway, which I had done once before, um, because that was a good idea. And so, so we don't, we no longer, we sort of moved off of Cybertruck. We, the market, the universe has sort of moved off Cybertruck being like a big boost of margins or sales growth in 24. And now we're all talking about this halo effect. Okay, Cybertruck is so cool. 
People are tweeting pictures of lines uh, going out of, of, of Tesla dealerships just so they can see this thing. And it will end up driving sales of Model 3 and Model Ys. So that is something that will is yet to be seen. If, if that is the case, that will be good for Tesla stock. You know, just to just to, to digress one second, right? So I think our I think our headline on that Tesla story, January 6th, I believe, was Tesla stock has issues, buy it anyway. Uh, it, the day that we wrote that story was published, actually, the stock had its 52 week low at like 10180, I believe. Um, so it was a well-timed story. That's just luck. But it was a problem because you know we we're coming out of, of some of this Twitter overhang with Elon selling stock and buying Twitter, which is now X, and and people were worried about um, uh, the impact of price cuts and all this sort of thing. And and then basically people started feeling better, so sentiment improved. Now the stock is we we were hoping and in that story hoping the stock could go to maybe 150 or something like that. Oh, lo and behold, it goes to 250 because Tesla never does what you expect it will do. So up here, I don't feel nearly like I did in January. But given the fact that it's Tesla and I've covered this for so long, I always say the same thing. If you force me to pick it now, I'd say I'm happy to be a market weight in Tesla. So it's going 2% of the S&P 500. I would always own some Tesla. I'd never short Tesla, but I wouldn't own as much as I did in January. So Al, going on this Lee um, asks us, he points out that one of the commentators um, on our cover article this weekend said that Tesla is priced if it's going to be the biggest EV company, but it's clear that Boyd will, BYD, not Boyd, BYD will be that company. So he wants to know, and this is partially what Tony uh, Saganucci over at uh, um, Bernstein said, uh, you know, is Tesla overvalued if BYD is going to be the biggest uh, EV maker? So uh, BYD should take the crown for unit deliveries in Q4. So and this actually is a really fascinating idea. So the Cybertruck was supposed to unlock the lucrative uh, truck market to Tesla. And that's a great idea because Americans love trucks and way to go Elon. But while that was happening, he was struggling to make that. BYD decided, I'm going to make cheaper, uh, more affordable EVs, and then I'm going to become the dominant provider of uh, EVs in China, and then I'll start exporting them. And Tesla doesn't have a car that costs twenty dollars to $30,000, right? The uh, Model 3 sort of starts uh, just under 40, and the Model Y is more expensive than that. So they have Tesla basically said, I don't need a cheaper car yet. I'll just discount threes and sell more Model Ys than I could have ever imagined I would sell. So the lack of a full product lineup for Tesla has become a real issue. And it's going to result in them losing the crown of biggest EV maker in the world. Now, uh, Tesla still generates many more sales dollars than BYD because cars are more expensive. And that crown will take a little while to take from Tesla. And then Tesla's going to try to come out with a smaller car. So we can have an argument. It's a good discussion uh, to say, was this a strategic mistake from Elon? Did he miss what was going on in China? Was he distracted by Cybertruck? Is it going to be fine because the smaller Tesla, which is due in 24 or 25, will be amazing? Um, these are these are the things that investors can debate, the bulls and bears can debate, and then we'll have to see how they turn out. Um, all right. So that's a lot of talk. But BYD, it's, we're all going to have this. There will be a thousand headlines on January the 4th, you know, BYD takes crown. Ours will be one of them.
We'll be watching for it. All right, let's take a little, two last questions from readers and uh, then we'll get out of here. Um, so Larry asks, given the Federal Reserve's ongoing fight against inflation, um, is it too soon to buy cyclical stocks? So um, this is probably for me and I know Nick is gonna have, but I, I industrials are cyclical. Falling rates don't fight the Fed, so the answer would be yes. And then your traditional playbook would be buy things like that early cycle. That's distributors, things that sell lower priced items, later cycle, or people like cat and deer and things like that. So the answer would be yes. I would channel my inner Jack Howe and say, we're talking about doing this at the margin. It's not like sell your entire portfolio and buy cat. That's not a good idea. But yeah, I do think if earnings start to grow, cyclical stocks will outperform. Um, now, history is always slightly different. We have all this government stimulus and all this weird stuff going on, uh, the electrification of everything and reshoring, and that all plays into it. But I am not adverse to cyclical stocks. Okay. All right. And a last question. I'm going to dare one of you to wade into this one. Gabriel wants to know about Coinbase. The stock has been very strong because cryptos have been rallying. Finance has uh, really uh, kind of collapsed with the CEO being. Um, getting arrested. Um, what do you make of uh, a Coinbase here? Um, certainly not my area of expertise, but I think that there's, there's, I mean, just the headlines we've been seeing, of course, FTX late last year collapsed and then now um, with Binance um, and, and the big penalty they're going to pay the, the, the founder being uh, forced to step down. Um, when two of your biggest competitors are having issues like that, um, that can't be a bad thing for Coinbase. Um, especially when it has this veneer of, of being the most legitimate, most regulated um, of those types of exchanges for, for U.S. crypto investors. Um, like Gabriel mentioned, it is up 100% in the past six months. I think some of that has to do with the um, excitement over Bitcoin and the Bitcoin price going up as well. Um, a lot of that has to do with um, making it look, like the SEC looking like they may be approving some ETFs which hold Bitcoin that'll make it easier for more investors to own that. Um, but at the same time, so, so that's good for Coinbase in that they take a percentage of trading volume. So a higher Bitcoin price um, should lead to more trading and, and more revenues for Coinbase. But at the same time, it means that less, um, uh, potentially fewer people are going to be using Coinbase if they're investing in Bitcoin through ETFs. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag there. I would not chase the stock here. The one thing Coinbase. I will say about it is that it, uh, its high was over $400. Um, back when it went public and it's still only at 121-ish. Uh, um, so even despite hey, doubling this year, it's still way down. Yes, Al. So uh, without waiting into this, fun facts, in 2021, they earned 1450 a share. In 2022, they lost about $12 a share. <laughs> that is quite a swing, so. That is quite a swing. All right, last question for you guys. What does the next 13 months hold for the stock market? Are we going to finish up or down in 2024? Um, I think we'll be up. I think we'll be up somewhere between seven and eight percent, which is the S&P 500's average return over its history. Does the S&P 500 ever <laughs> average its average return? Or average? Uh, sometimes. All right. um, but in a faster answer, I think I'll, I think it's sort of a tale of two halves next year. Yeah. Um, going back to our discussion of the uh, the baby bear, the mama bear, or whatever. Um, um, I think we have a weaker first half where, where we get a growth scare um, that'll bring with it some continued inflation improvement, um, maybe pricing in more of a recession. 
um, while rates are still high by the second half of the year, the Fed may be in a position to cut um, and, and that'll boost valuation multiples. Investors will begin looking ahead to the recovery or the reacceleration on the other side of that in 2025 or whenever. Um, and, and we'll get a rally in the second half of the year. Um, and and uh, we also have a pretty consequential election year, um, which tends to impact the mood. And I yeah. think the historical pattern, if I'm not mistaken, is stocks sell off going into an election and then rally after the uh, the first week of November once that uncertainty is lifted. Um, so it's an argument for a, another argument for a slow start to the year and then a stronger finish. Well, and, the, and the less said about that, the better. Um, Al, uh, what about you? Uh, where's um, the ESP going to add next year? I am, first of all, I'm always an optimist, and I actually love Nick's answer. I think that's, I think that's cheap to go with the average return, Nick. I'm going to go with 5,000, come up with big numbers. I think we can get past 5,000, uh, which I think is up about 8%. No, don't do the math, Nick. I'm doing the math right now, Al, as we um, speak. It's actually 9.7%. So. Oh, I'm way above Nick. That's so I think you can hit 5,000 because that's a nice big round number and round numbers. And, right. it, it, and it's difficult, right? It's just, I'm, I'm going to keep saying this until something changes. We won't fight the Fed. Rates will come down. Earnings will grow. It'll be okay. Okay. Sounds good. Well, that's all the time we have today. Al, Nick, thank you for joining me. And thanks to all our listeners for being here. Uh, please uh, come again tomorrow when we're going to have Managing Your Money with Barron's Managing Editor, Darren Fonda, speaking with Bespoke Investment co-founder, Paul Hickey, on the best places to invest in 2024. Thanks for listening. Be well and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.